The Lord sent his great messenger Elijah to anoint a prophet to follow him. God chose someone ordinary. Elijah found Elisha, a nobody, plowing his father's field. And what was Elisha's response? He burned his plow and left everything he knew to answer God's call. Elisha, a tale of ridiculous faith. Everybody say Elisha. Everybody say grab your shovel. Everybody say grab your shovel. Now these shovels right here don't look like they'll do much work. They just, they just, they're flat shovels, but we're, we got them anyhow because they were the cleanest thing that we had. If you missed last week, we talked about burning plows and leaving behind anything that would keep you from following God and moving forward in your life. So last week we killed cows and we burned plows. Today we're going to talk about digging ditches. That's the subject tonight. And I'm asking God to build the faith of our church to be greater than it ever has been because we know without faith, it is impossible to please God. And when you come to him, you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So today, before we dive in, I wonder how many of you have played the game that I call the if-only game. If only. Like if only I had such and such, life would be better. Or I would be happier. Or if only I had a better job. Or if only I had more money. Or if only I had more hair. (laughs) At least in the right places. I got it here. I got it here. But I don't have any up here. Whatever that means to you. If only God would answer this one prayer. Some lady might say, if only I had a husband. A married lady might say, if only I had a husband with a job. And then someone else might say, if only I had a husband with a job who looked like Brad Pitt. And somebody else come along and say, if only I had a husband with a job who looked like Brad Pitt and was rich as Rockefeller. It just keeps going. You never stop. I don't know what your if only would be, but throughout life, We all recognize that we have these needs and we tend to think if only I had whatever it is, we would be so much better. I want you to do something for me right now. I want you to clap to the Lord in just a minute. I want you to clap to the Lord for being who you are right now. Clap to the Lord for that. Say, I am happy where we are right now. Come on. Come on, just do that. That's right. And what I want to do today is encourage you to listen to this message through the lens of of your greatest need, to experience the teaching of God's Word through the lens of your greatest need. For the context of our study today, we're going to see that there were three kings who were joined together in forces to battle the Moabites, three against one. They thought this should be easy. We will have a very decisive victory. But often in life, things do not go as we have planned them to go. The best laid plans of mice and men go awry. And you think you've got it figured out, and whoops, things didn't turn out the way we thought, and that's what's happening to these three kings. Instead of winning easily, their troops march for seven days, wander in the desert, and they run totally slap out of water. Not only that, not only they're about to die of thirst, but all their animals are going to die of thirst. They have a very significant need. And so I go to my 
my, my text today, but here's what I want to say before we start. Put it on the screen. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. That baby that needs healing and you don't have the money to go to the doctor, your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. How many of you can raise your hand and say, I've been in that place, Pastor, and I had to depend on God and God only. And when you have nothing left but God, you've got everything you need in this life. Amen. So I'm going to read the text here tonight. We're going to read the text from 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9 through 12. Just keep your seat. We're going to read it here off the screen. It says, So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on a roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. So the king uh, and the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them to the hand of the Moab of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, What did he say? Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went to him. Say amen to that. Say amen to that. Now, I want to I say something. Three kings are going to battle against the Moabites, and they think they're going to win easily. But that didn't happen. Now they're out of water. Now, what you may not know is that these three kings, number one, were not serving God. And number two, they weren't even seeking God. And all of a sudden, they do what we sometimes do when we're in trouble. Oh, God. We're in trouble. Can you help us? And so they say, is there anybody who's really good with God? Anybody who can do a little rain dance for us? Pull some spiritual strings with Heavenly Father. And they said, oh, yeah, there's Elisha, the prophet. Maybe he can help us out. Surely they had heard about the miracles that Elisha was doing in his rookie year as a prophet. He had already separated the Jordan. Okay, very impressive. He divided the Jordan. Another time he spoke to polluted springs of water. And he said, you drink this water, you die. But he spoke to it and healed the water so that they could drink from it. And the water was healthy and good. And another thing he did is when some young boys came out to make fun of him one day. But because evidently he didn't have a lot of hair. And the young boys were calling him Baldy, Baldy, Baldy. Go up, old Baldy. Go up, old bald head. And Elisha lost his cool and summoned two she-bears out of the woods, and the bears destroyed the boys. That's in your Bible. I'm not making that up. You can't make that kind of stuff up. And you also should never make fun of a guy who's bald-headed because you may not know how much faith he has and how close a bear he is. Okay? Elisha, can you help us out? What do you think he's going to do? Let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to cop an attitude. That's what he's going to do. I get it. I get you guys. You want to ignore God. Now you're in trouble, and you want some God action. That's where you are. I'm going to be smart aleck right back at you. 
because I'm going to have an attitude when I answer. You may say, where did he learn this from? And honestly, he learned it from Elijah, who was his mentor. For one day on top of Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah was facing, was facing 450 prophets of the grove and 400 of Baal, 850 in all. And he said, boys, we got a little conundrum here. Let's have a little contest. Why don't we just find two bulls? You kill one and I'll kill one. We'll make a couple of altars. And the fire falls on your altar, we'll worship your gods. But if the fire falls on my altar, we worship my God. He said, let's go, boys. Bring it on. 850 against one. Send the fire. Send the fire. Send the fire. They, they all morning, they screamed and hollered until noon. And Elijah was back there laughing and chilling. And he was saying stuff like, maybe you ought to shout a little louder. Maybe your God's dead. Maybe he's gone on vacation. Maybe your God is involved in a project. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he needs to be woke up. And the New Living Version says, maybe he's taking a bathroom break. That's in the book. Now, I'm not going to say what he's doing in the bathroom. Maybe he was shaving. I don't know. And so Elisha does what Elijah did. He gets an attitude. And watch it. Here's what he says in verse 13. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do you want to involve me for? You guys have been ignoring God all this time. And, and now you want to, you want to involve me. Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Okay. Can you hear an attitude there? He's bringing mama into it. It's one thing to talk about the prophets of your dad. But when you talk about mama, you're hurting some people's feelings. Why don't you just go to mama? Why are you trying to involve me? This is fun. Your mama is a prophet. I grew up bored in church, folks, but I ain't bored now. I love to talk about your mama being a prophet. That's funny, isn't it? That's Elisha. That's the man we're studying about these next few weeks. So he goes on. He says, call the prophets of your mother. No, said the king of Israel, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together, deliver us to the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, and now he's going to be a smart aleck again. Watch this. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. You can't make that claim, boys. I got a God that I serve that can help us out. In other words, boys, you're not serving him, but I am. I just want to put a little dig in there. And as surely the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I didn't have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. And Jehoshaphat wasn't even serving God at the time, but at one time he did fear God. You want a prophet? He said, I'm your prophet. Then he said, oh, I love this, in verse 15. He makes a demand. He says, bring me a harpist. Bring me a minstrel. Bring me somebody who knows how to play a harp. I need some music to prophesy by. <laughs> Give me a harpist. Can I just stop and say, you know what I love about this church? I'm not going to fuss at you. I'm going to brag. You know what I love about this church? You always bring a minstrel when you come to the house of God. You always bring your hand claps. You always bring your hallelujahs. You always bring an, an expression of gratitude to God. I just don't think church is church until we have plowed the field like Judah plows the field. I think praise breaks up the ground. I think praise and worship is what we need in the house of God. And every time 
I try to bring a message to you about stuff like faith. I believe that worship is involved because when you start praising Almighty God, He inhabits the praise of His people. Somebody needs to bring a harp in here. Somebody needs to bring something difficult to bring in and bring it on. And let us see what God will do in our house. That's right. Come on, I think we ought to clap our hands real big. Somebody needs to bring me a menstrual tear tonight. Somebody. Somebody. What he was saying was get me the biggest and most difficult instrument to move and bring it in here and get me somebody who's good at playing music. I liked our music tonight. You're a bad man on that piano. We got us a new organist tonight. We had a new bass guitar player tonight. My Lord, where'd she come from? We had some newbies up here tonight. But whenever we walk in this house, don't you ever walk in this house and expect somebody to prophesy without you bringing some praise to the house. Come on. I don't care if we got somebody coming on Sunday or coming next Wednesday. You walk in here, enter his courts with thanksgiving into his gates with praise. Give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Magnifying. Bring a minstrel, bring a minstrel, bring a minstrel. When I prepare messages, I put worship in my thoughts as much as possible. It helps connect to God. I love music. I love worship. Elisha said, play the harp. And so the three kings are there, and they're they're like, okay, he's going to give us a word of encouragement. He's going to tell us God's going to send rain. I can feel the music playing. This is going to be good. And what does Elisha do? Does he bring a word of encouragement? No, he gives him a ridiculous command. Then it happened. When the music played, the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know who you're talking to? You're talking to three big time boys here. You're talking to kings. You want us to go to work? You want us to dig ditches? Make this, I thought God was going to make it rain. We're going to take our shoes off. We're going to run through the puddles and enjoy the rain. And you're telling me when my troops are about to die of thirst, you want them to do manual labor under the hot desert sun? That would be, yeah. I want them to dig some ditches. There's no sign of rain anywhere. We're in a severe drought. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want you to dig some ditches, and we're going to see that your greatest need often becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Verse 17, he said, For this is what the Lord says. You will neither see wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. Verse 18, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. That's pretty cocky, isn't it? He said, this ain't a hard thing, boys. It's going to be easy, but get your shovels out. It's time to get your shovels. It's time to start doing something so we can see the mighty, powerful arm of God. What he was saying is what I've been preaching for 24 years. God will never hand glory to the lap of laziness. If you want something from God, you've got to get up 
out of where you are. Get up off your seat of do nothing and put yourself into the action of the kingdom of God and watch God do great things in your life. He says it. He said it all through the Bible. If you will, I will. If you'll go out, I'll go with you. If you'll step up, I'll step on to you. God says if you'll put a shovel in your hand and start doing some work in the kingdom, I will provide the rain in your life. And he said, oh, yeah, and that other thing, God's going to deliver Moab into your hand, too. Not only is he going to let it rain, he's going to deliver Moab. This thing's going to be a two-part victory. You're going to have victory, and you're going to have rain. Now, what does that mean for us? And I want to put a subtitle in your notes. Here it is, three words. Write it down. Faith that works. Write it down. Faith that works. Now, that's a play on words, and it's intentional. I'm talking about faith that is effective. In other words, faith that moves the heart of God and it invokes a response from God. I'm talking about faith that works. At the same time, I'm not just talking about faith that is effective, but I'm also talking about faith that is active. Faith that works is faith that does something. Amen? Amen. Faith that believes that if we take a step toward God, he will take a step toward us. So here is one of the two principles I'm going to share with you tonight. Here's the first one. Only God can send the water. But sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Say it with me. Only God can send the water. But sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. That went over like a decaffeinated soft drink. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some spiritual caffeine in this right here, right now. I'm gonna, I, I just did, and it's, it's, it's getting into my veins, and it's really engaging. Let me say it again. The caffeine is boiling in my body. And some of you are waking up, and you're excited to be in God's presence right now, aren't you? Amen. I feel something happening in this place. Only God can send the rain, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. James 2.26 says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. So as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good. Only God can send the water. But sometimes he wants to see your faith. He wants you to dig a ditch. I mean, God can do that. He, he didn't need them to do that. But instead, it's almost as if he was saying, you show me your faith. And I will show you my faithfulness. believe that God is faithful Jeremiah never saw a convert but he wrote in Lamentations great is thy faithfulness you hear me God is a faithful God but sometimes we got to show him our faith so how do you how does God see faith the Bible talks in the New Testament about Jesus seeing their faith how do you see faith how do you see it? If I'm praying, do you see my faith? I'm praying and you're like, oh man, do you see the faith smoke rising in his brain? No, no, no. No, no, no. You don't see that. You see faith in action. When Peter was on that boat in the middle of that sea, when there's a lot of wind and a lot of waves and a lot of boisterousness, he saw that spirit and he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. 
And the Lord said, come. And this guy got out of the boat and walked on the water. That's what you call seeing faith. (laughs) Amen? Now, God wants us to participate in the miracles that he wants to give us. Again, in the New Testament, he walks in the synagogue one day. And he sees a man with a withered hand. And he's hiding it behind the fold of his garment. And the Lord puts him right in the middle of the synagogue and says, stretch forth your hand. God, can't you heal it right here? Yes, I can. But I want you to dig a ditch. He came up to a pool one day. A man had been contained there 38 years and said, every time I get ready to go in the water, somebody gets in there before I do. And he said, do you want to walk? Do you want to be made whole? He said, rise. Watch this. Take up your bed and walk. He didn't say you're healed. He said, get up. Get up. Get up. Sometimes God says, you know what? I could bring rain. I could put a million dollars in your bank account. But every now and then, I want you to get a shovel in your hand. I want you to start digging some ditches. I want you to start digging some things because as you dig and you understand that I am the God that's faithful, when you show me your faith, get ready. I'm going to show you my faithfulness. Somebody clap your hands and rejoice in that right now. And the ugliest, ugly, one of the ugliest miracles ever is in John 9. He finds a man born blind and he, you want to see? He spits on the ground, makes him a little mud ball. That's nasty. That's nasty. Puts that mud pack in both his eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Lord, don't you know I'm blind? Go wash. Go wash. Go wash. And he goes and wash and he comes forth seeing. Because when you show God your faith, he'll show you his faithfulness. I preached about Brother Yon here. He's called the heavenly man. He was a, a prisoner in China, preaching the gospel in China. And the last time he kept getting out of jail because every time they put him in jail, God just opened the door and he'd just walk out and go preaching again. There's no jail that could hold him. He was more powerful than Jesse James. No jail could hold him. Billy the kid, he was greater than Billy. Hallelujah. And one day they said, you won't get out again. They broke his legs in two places, both of his legs. He had four breaks and two legs. And one day he said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do now. And God said, get up. He said, God, you don't understand. He said, I said, get up. He said, God, what do you mean get up? My legs are broke. He said, get up. And Brother Jan got up and started trying to get up and He realized the legs wasn't weak. They were strong. Sometimes you got to get a shovel in your hand. Sometimes you got to get a shovel in your hand. God's just not going to send rain. He wants you to participate in the glory. God can send the rain, but he wants you to dig the ditch. Oh, I'm preaching to you right now. I know a lot of people that are like, I want my kids to serve Jesus. I don't want to be strong Christians. But you don't bring them to kids ministry. You don't bring them to the image youth group. You don't bring your kids on Sunday morning. 
Come on, if you want some water, you got to become godly parents. You got to do something. You got to dig. Some people say, oh, if I had more money, more money, more money, more money. And yet they don't tithe. You know, God can't rebuke the devourer for your sake if you're not a giver. Get a shovel in your hand. Come on, people. I'm trying to get you to be blessed. The church don't need your money. You need the blessing of God in your life. Come on, somebody. Get a shovel in your hand. Come on. Get a shovel in your hand. Anybody want to dance a little bit right now? God is the only one that can send the water. But he needs you to dig a ditch. I just can't stand helpless victim America. I can't handle it. God didn't make us to be victims. He doesn't make junk. He made us to be victors. We're created in his image. Made in his likeness. Can I preach right now? Can I tell you something? God didn't make you to be the beggar. He wants you to be the lender, not the borrower. Come on, get on your feet and say, I'm going to dig a ditch. God's going to send the rain in my home. Some people say, boy, I wish I could get rid of cigarettes. I wish I could quit smoking. Throw them in the garbage. Dig a ditch. Dig a ditch. You can quit. You may weigh 500 pounds in about two years after you quit, but you can quit. Amen. Boy, pastor, I've thrown them cigarettes away, but I love that snuff. I watched the basketball game Monday night and saw Tony Romo at the basketball game in Dallas, and I was so glad he was there. I knew the Spurs was going to win. <laughs> you didn't get it. Because when Romo's there, they don't win. You know what? You know what? Some of you want to break habits. Some of you want to break habits. Now, listen to me. Habits are broken. God will give you the power. You have to make the choice. And I believe that the greatest thing that God ever gave to every man, woman, boy, girl is the power to choose. And when you choose, God said, I'm going to help you. I stepped on this platform Sunday and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm moving. Blue Bell, that old cow is going to leave my life. And she's left. I, I gave her a permanent wave. I told one of my sweet sisters tonight that makes me great cakes. I said, give me six months and you can make me a cake and I'll celebrate but I don't want any cakes now. No cakes, no cookies. You understand that? Because I've determined, I have determined this old boy is going to break a habit of eating. I refuse to be the Pillsbury Doughboy in this church. I'm going to, I'm going to be skinny. 
I'm going to look good again. Amen. It's time for us to start breaking habits in our life. You hear me? You don't have to live those habits that you've always lived in your life. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. I know a lot of you single guys are like this. Oh, man, I'd want a wife. I want a wife. I want a wife. God, send me a wife. And you're sitting on your backside at home, waiting for some smoking babe to knock on your door, carrying a Bible, going, hey, big stud, take me to church and then lose me forever. And God's looking at you and saying, you got to brush your teeth and iron a shirt first. Sell your Xbox, move out of your mom's basement, get a full-time job, ask somebody out, buy some flowers, get involved in your church. Only God can send the babe, but you've got to brush your own teeth. Come on. Get that shovel in your hand. Let's go. Only God can send the water, but somebody else, help me now. Somebody else has got to dig a ditch. I'm almost done. I'm going to let you out early tonight. Hey, Mitch and Josh and Brad and I have got a great idea. Summer Wednesday nights. Every Wednesday night's going to be special. We're going to have great stuff every Wednesday night. I'm talking about eat stuff. Calorie low. Quality high. We're going to eat here on Wednesday night. So Wednesday night after church, come on. We'll be able to have a big old feed next door in the gym. Or we might just have cookies and Cokes out front. We may have coffee and donuts. You can have the donuts. I'll drink the coffee. Come on. Let, let, let's, let's come this Wednesday. Let, let, let's come in the summer. Amen. I'm already preaching about summertime to you. Let's, let's do it. The second principle that I want to talk about is simply this. Real faith believes big, but it's willing to start small. Everybody say, he is able to do that that I've committed to him. Against that day. He can keep it. He's able to keep that that I've committed him against that day. Said so he is able to do exceeding. Abundantly. Above that. That I'm able to ask or think. You know why I ask you to do that? Because I want you to say it. There's something powerful in the spoken word. I want you to say it. I want you to, I want you to blast it out. I want you to get up in the morning and say, God, I'm going to dig some ditches today. And you're going to cause it to rain in my family. I may start small, but I'm going to have big faith. I know too many people who call themselves Christians that are not thinking big enough. We serve a God who can do exceeding abundantly more than you all can ask, think, imagine. It's time to think big. We serve a big, big God. Amen? I know just as many of you who won't think big, and yet at the same time, they're not willing to start small. They just don't want to start. The start is just a killer. But if you're ever going to have anything, you're going to have to understand that all starts are not massive. Sometimes starts are small. Dale Computers was founded in a garage. Motown Music was founded in a garage. Things happen in garages. I used to live next door to some people that had a garage band. They never made it. Thank God. (laughs) Zachariah. 
Zechariah 4 and 10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Sometimes you have to start small. There may be some of you, you've got big vision, and you're saying, where are we going to start? You're going to start small. You're going to start with what's in front of you. You're going to be faithful with what God has given you. You're going to start small. Ten years ago, there was a man named... There was a man named Sam Martinez whose little daughter made some friends on the street and he decided to start bringing those little girls and little boys to church with his granddaughter and he had about four or five and before he knew it he had six and he couldn't hardly pack them in the car. He broke the law every Sunday when he brought those kids to church. They're sitting on each other's laps. They were riding without seat belts. But Sam brought them to church. Sam died but his ministry hadn't died. Now it's called Jesus and me. Hallelujah. I want to introduce it to y'all tonight because we have people in this, in this church service right here tonight. Bobby Barker, Linda Foraker, people like that that just absolutely work themselves to death. Joe and Olivia Hernandez are a part of that. We've got instructors like Luana Banks. We've got instructors in this church that tutor those kids, bless those kids. We, have, we've started, we started this ministry back when Sam was here. It's called Jesus and it was called Sam's Kids, and then it became Jesus and Me. And now, now, on any given Sunday, we have 50 come to church. 50 come to church. Now listen. Listen. Some of those kids, some of those kids are going to college. They never had a dream. They never had a prayer that they'd ever make anything in life. But a church turned their life around. I think you ought to worship God for that because somebody was willing to dig a ditch and begin small and believe that God could do big things. Amen? Amen? You know, it's, it's an amazing thing, and, I, and I, I, I don't want to talk about Rex Johnson, but the first church I ever took had 15 people in it, and I thought, oh, God, I'm so happy. First revival I ever preached was in a, in a church that in the middle of Louisiana that... that uh, had about 30 people in it, and the youth group started at 55. <laughs> the youth leader was 57. <laughs> Young people would come to that church, peek in, and run. <laughs> and here I was, 21 years old, trying to preach. The woman they put me with was 80. 80. And she had the audacity to say, do you think they'll be talking about us? Oh, my God. And I... And I said one night, in the privacy of my own bed, God! If I would have known, this is how it's going to start. God, I think I'd have just stayed with my daddy and been in the oil field business or something, God. Lord, a week with that woman, I was ready to run naked down the street. <laughs> ah! Then I went from there to a storefront. And then I went from there to another church. That the pastor would not let me go to bed at night. He wanted to preach to me and said, Son, you need to learn how to preach. 
Yes, sir. That was my first three revivals. And then I went to my fourth revival, and I stayed in the back of the church, and it was in New Orleans, Louisiana, and they did d- drug deals right across the street. And I put knives, those, those butter knives, in the door because we had no locks on the door. I said, my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die in my fourth revival. I'm going to die. I never dreamed. I never dreamed. And then I left the evangelistic field. I started preaching for a larger church. I left the evangelistic field. And then I went to Dallas, took a church in Dallas, and I had 15 people. And I said, God, when is this going to happen for us? I mean, I've been in the ministry now five years, and I'm starting at a church that's got 15 people in it. And the Lord said, don't ever despise the day of small things. Lived in the back of the church for four months. And by that time, I didn't even call it sacrifice. I was just glad to be away from New Orleans where the drug trafficking was going on across the street from the church. I was glad to be away from Ida Wisby, who drove me crazy. I couldn't please her. She was the most eccentric woman I've ever known in my life. And she, to this day, she's dead and gone. I love you, Ida. I love you, Ida. She loved me. I was privileged to preach Louisiana camp meeting a couple of years. And she sat on the front row. She said, that's my boy. That's my boy. Oh, God, I'm not either. I'm not your boy. I'm not your boy. Don't despise. Some of you have got business ideas. Some of you have got thought processes in your mind. You're saying, oh, God, will it ever get off the ground? Yes, it's going to get off the ground. Yes, it is. It's going to get off the ground. You're going to build that business. You're going to build that foundation. You're going to build it. Come on. You may have to start small, but think big. Think massive. God is with you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Come on, build it. Build your dreams. Build your company. Build your family. Build your home. Come on, go for it. Go for it. I want you to encourage you to think big, but... Don't be afraid to start small. It's all right. It's all right. I got to close. Somebody somebody say it with me. God, I believe you can. And then start where you are. I pastored a man in Dallas. I'm through with these shovels. I pastored a man. Somebody come help me. I pastored a man in Dallas several years ago. That started cleaning, a cleaning business in homes when he was in college. Just started a cleaning business. And uh, he used to come to our church there in Dallas. We didn't, we didn't stay at 15, thank God. But, but he came to church and he said, someday, Pastor, I want to tell you my story. I said, well, right now is the best time I know. Tell me your story. He said, I started very small. He said, I, I cleaned offices. He said, I cleaned residences and he said I worked myself to a to a frenzy and then when I realized my business was outgrowing me then I hired one more person and we did it I hired another man and we did it and then he said we outgrew that and I hired one more man and we did it and I hired one more man he said then something said dummy women clean better than men <laughs> just heard from New Orleans and and he said, so I hired me some women and said, man, our business just started sprouting. And he said, Pastor, now, and that was back in the day, the old ranger stadium. He said, now, we clean all the ranger games. He said, we clean all the Dallas Cowboy games. We're the cleanup crew. 
I said, it must be a massive undertaking. He said, yeah, it is, Pastor, but it's a massive paycheck too. He said, every now and then, I go back by the house of where I first started my business. And he said, Pastor, I think I started there. And I got all this. He said, but Pastor, I always believed that God could. And he said, if you will, I will. And I'm preaching to some of you young couples, and I'm preaching to some of your marriages, and I'm preaching to some of your homes. And I'm telling some of you young people, you can accomplish. You can be a winner in life. You already are. God created you a winner. But you can absolutely soar beyond what you ever imagined. Think big. But don't be afraid to start small. Say amen to that. So, don't ever forget that your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. And I close with this. 2 Kings chapter 3 says this the next morning about the time of the offering of the sacrifice. There it was. After they faithfully dug ditches, the Bible says water was flowing from the direction of Edom. And it said, said with me, and the land was filled with water. Only God can send the water. Sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. That's what it's about. Some of you right now, you have significant needs in your life tonight, and you think, if only, if only, if only God would meet that need. If only God would answer that prayer. Sometimes your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.